Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways that you can address them when you're short of time. And I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is stopping drama. During large change projects, you're working against aggressive plans and timelines that can cause tension, anger, animosity, and fear. When time is tight, emotions fly. And if these emotions go unchecked, they'll intensify and trigger combative behaviors, everything from verbal attacks to not sharing information, to really not honoring commitments that derail the team and its performance. So how do you diffuse situations before relationships and productivity spiral downward. And my guest today is Mel Barnett. Mel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. And Mel is the managing partner and founder of Pivot, a firm that specializes in employee communication, corporate culture development, and change integration that matters. And Mel, over your 24-year career, you've helped organizations build amazing cultures as a communicator, organizational development practitioner, culture advocate, and change lead. And you're also the co-author of An Honest Living, Being Wildly Successful Without Being a Jerk. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. One thing you neglected to mention is that you and I have a long storied past together on change initiatives. (laughs) Absolutely, we do. Many, many years and and, uh, very cherished memories, but also some scary ones too, going through change. And there's no one else I can think of that I'd rather talk about drama during change. Because <laughs> we've seen it all. And, and from my reflection, like it was in, in Canada, the US, globally, and in, in almost every continent, uh, where this always does come up. And, mm-hmm. and it's something that I've found that it's talked about so rarely. It's almost when you, you look at support for change, it's almost, you know, the technical nuts and bolts or, you know, how to build a team, but not about how do you save a team when it's struggling through emotional discord. Mm-hmm. Have you had that experience? Oh, yeah. On every single bloody project I've ever worked on. I hope that nobody's ever referred to me offside as melodrama, but I've certainly been, you know, in, roiled in my own. Right. So you not only do you do you experience it from other people, but, you know, often if we don't keep ourselves in check, we're perpetrators and we can help incite drama. So, you know, we can get into a little bit more about this. But I think the one of the first things that you have to remember when you when you join any project, regardless of whether you're you're being reassigned to it from, you know, a line job on the corporate side or if you're uh, joining a project as a consultant or a um, contractor, is that a project is a microcosm of change. And so the kinds of behaviors that we know exist amongst people who are enduring going through change, those are going to exist on a project team and they will be amplified because uh, project teams are pressure cooker. You're the first line really of pushing a change through and it can be any kind of change. One of the things that I think is always really important when we talk about change is that we talk, it's not just, oh, we're implementing SAP or we're putting an ERP into or you know, or we're transforming our financials or we're doing, you know, we're changing over IT or whatever. It can be, you know, and you and I have done so many of these cultural changes where the way the business was, what the business was focused on or what it was structured around is no longer doing it. 
so we have to change, you know, we have to change behaviors, we have to change the things that we're prioritizing, whatever. And so whether it's a, a merger or a downsizing or a strategy change or whatever, these are all stressful, right? And the project team is the front line of that. And they are going through almost in at the same time as leaders are going through kind of understanding what the changes are and how it's going to impact them. The project team is experiencing a variant of that in their own little environment. And that's why, just as we see drama unfolding when people are being asked to change the ways they do things, that happens on project teams too. And why do you think project teams, as you say, they're they're the vanguards of change, they're making it happen. Are there any sort of environmental contributors in the sense? And one thing that comes to mind is, Everyone is in one room, and it's typically mm-hmm. a, not, not the it's not the the, the penthouse suite. It's it's right. some area that they've designated for anything like that. That thinks that actually is a an, an aggravator of of people's emotions. Yeah, I think there are a number of things. So I think that that's a great one. I mean, you and I have you know spent many times in windowless basements as part of you know important members of this project that we've been reassigned to. And so environmentally, the spaces, I know I, uh, one of the first projects that I worked on when I became an independent consultant was in the basement of a beautiful building of a beautiful organization. The organization itself was not beautiful, but the building was. And the, the project room was right next to the underground parking garage. And so they had to it was not ventilated in a way that was appropriate for human, you know, habitation. And so as a result, I mean, people were, we weren't quite asphyxiating, but I'll tell you, it was not pleasant. And, you know, and then they came in and they painted and then you're dealing with the, you know, the paint fumes. And I remember some members of the team were bringing in those little sponges that you, you know, you crack open the top and you put them around to try and get the stink out. And, you know, you're sitting on top of each other and then they're trying to cram more people in. So then you don't even have elbow room. You can't there's there are no places to have kind of private conversations so you know all of a sudden you're feeling very especially if you've you know you've come off of if you're a serial project person this becomes kind of old hat and you know you I think we play little games with ourselves to say okay how crappy is this one gonna be (laughs) and what horrible corner are they gonna stick us into but when you're reassigned to a project from a line role and it's your first rodeo it can be quite eye-opening and not in a positive way. I think another thing that uh, we don't, I mean, you and I talk about it a lot, but I'm not sure that in general it gets spoken of in the open. Uh, And that is when a lot of people are assigned to a project, it's either taken as a, it either is an indication or it's taken as an indication that they have one foot on a banana peel and they're on their way out of the organization. So it's kind of like you do this and then we're going to kick you out, right? So I think some people come to projects with a bit of baggage already where they're thinking that they're being punished, right? To like, this is, you know, this is like your last kind of ditch effort to either save yourself or at least, you know, make sure that you get a better payout when you're fired. And I think that that's part of the baggage that they can bring to a, a project. I think other people come to a project maybe wide-eyed and expectant that they're going to make a huge impact. And then very quickly, they learn that there's a psychosis or a pathology to a project and they become disillusioned very quickly. There's also, you know, remember, projects are most of the time, and it, it all depends on 
when we're talking about when they're, I guess this is in the forming stage, but because it's in the forming stage, you're inevitably going to go, you're going to get to storming, right? And on projects that we get there very quickly and everybody's trying to figure out where they fit in the hierarchy. So back to the point being that, you know, people are wondering whether or not this is it for them in that organization. They're going to be trying to prove themselves um, and maybe to exert a little bit of um, you know, leadership, right? To, you know, to get out in front and prove their value. And that can get people's, that can ruffle people's feathers very quickly. One thing I, I've noticed as well is that that whole forming, you know, you're on the project team, uh, typically you've, you've been told that you've been selected for this very special project. You know, we need you and we need your skills. You're put into the room and, and having that happen. What I've also observed is that you're getting in late, even if you're getting in at the beginning. So we have to have a plan by Friday, but we don't know what it is. And, you know, we have to have these eight things done because either the outside consulting firm or, you know, the, the project leadership team has said, we need this because we're behind. So not only are you easing into a new relationship, you're already panicked. Do you have an example of that happening? Because I know we've done so many of these initiatives together. Uh, and I've seen it. It's consistent. It's never, hey, let's just ease in and, and get to know each other. Yeah, we're behind. Uh for sure. I mean, and I would say that that is essentially every project I've ever been on. And I will say that you know, I, I spent half of my career on the client side before I became an independent consultant. And to be frank, I much prefer to be an independent consultant because I can distance myself to some extent from the, from the drama, from the, you know, from the kind of the frenzy, because I'm able to establish the guardrails as a consultant to say, this is when you have me. And, you know, this is what, this is the part of my brain that you are paying for. And, it doesn't necessarily, at least for me, include me staying up all night worrying about whether or not we're behind, right? Now, that's not to say that I don't worry about those things because when you're in the, you know, when you're in the throes of a change and you're responsible for a bit of it, you've got to deliver, right? But I think that, you know, uh, you and I, of course, worked on a project where we joined it and they, it was at the, from our perspective, uh, we were being brought in fairly early in the process. And there was this hammering of like, we're behind, we need a change plan, we need a communication plan, we need a training plan. And they didn't even have the design done. So the design for the change was not done. They had no implementation or execution plan at all, because how do you execute something when you don't have a plan that you're executing? And then to have leadership screaming that they need a change plan and a comms plan and a training plan is you know, as a consultant, it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. But if you're, if you're coming in from the, li uh, the line part of the business and you've never been on a project before, you don't necessarily know that that's ridiculous, right? Like that, that it's like, no, this is a conversation that we have to have to say, let me help you understand the kind of sequence of events that needs to happen here in order for us to give you something that you can use. I mean, we can all make up a comms plan or make up a change plan or whatever, but it doesn't mean it's going to be effective. And I think also too, um, a lot of times it's not even about the, I mean, they say they want the plan, but they want the tactics, right? They want things like you need to go out and start training or you need to, you know, write a newsletter or whatever it is. You got to do a podcast. You got to do whatever. And it's like, we got nothing to say, right? We've got nothing to say yet, but there's this, when a lot of people get stressed out, they're looking for checkboxes, right? They're looking for, okay, what part are we in an ad car or pro or whatever, where we can check off. 
And, you know, my opinion about a lot of these kind of modeled approaches to change, I think they're nonsense. I think in isolation, they're nonsense. I think they can be used, parts of them can be used, but they don't reflect the reality of change, which is so deeply human. And humanness doesn't happen in sequence and it doesn't happen uh, through checkboxes. So I think every project that I've ever been on has started from behind even when we were at the front, because there's this feeling often of leaders who are making changes to a business where they know, okay, we're either in trouble, we have to do this, or we're going to fail as a business, or we're going to be number three when we used to be number one or whatever it is, that they need to see stuff, right? They need to see action. And we know that that will, in most cases, provide a false sense of security. We need a plan, right? We need a plan before we can take action on the plan. And taking taking you back to the the example that you gave, it was a very large transition, and we were coming in fresh. You know, as mm-hmm. the outside consultants coming in, where people had been there, I think for a year, you right. know, working on it. You know, behind you know, looking for you know the the tactics as you mentioned. If you remember back to when we were meeting people and interviewing them, and they were sharing their emotions. What drama do you remember? Because there was a lot of personal drama mm-hmm. there that that I would think, and I, we, and I know we discussed, was getting in the way of the performance of the project because the emotions were high. Right. Can you give the listeners some examples of, of some of the, the most mm-hmm. you know, intense emotions we, we heard. Yeah, I mean, there, there was a lot. So we, on this project, it was mostly senior leaders, but we had some field leaders. We had some, you know, folks that were on the strategy side and all those peppered in between. And there was a feeling of a lack of clarity from the front about what exactly they were trying to achieve. From a more practical perspective, there was a lack of agreement at the front around how the the team responsible for implementing the change was going to work together. You know, we it was about, I don't know, Phil, maybe two months into the process where we finally convinced them we had to have a ways of working session. And that ways of working session needed to include the project management team, the change management team, the communication team, the training team, and then really uh, project leadership. And It was interesting because you heard pretty much everybody on the project say, we're big believers in change management. We really believe in change management. And what was interesting is once you started to, in these interviews, when we were scratching that surface and trying to understand it, we came to realize that everybody's definition of what change management was, was different. And so we realized very quickly that we need to, to get everybody on the same page about exactly what we meant by change management. So we needed to get agreement on that. There were also there were people on this project who had worked for the organization for years, 30 years, 20, 20 years. And man, they carried baggage from previous changes that didn't go well, or they carried grudges with members of the team who they had worked with on other projects or in other parts of the business whom they didn't like or whatever it was. And so all that baggage comes with them, right? When they join a project, like you don't start, like you never start fresh, right? The only freshness comes from the outside. And that can be frustrating to the people on the inside because it's like, you don't know how it is here. There's lobbying that happens. And you, you know, as consultants, we, we see it for what it is, right? We're not just here, give me your watch so I can tell you what time it is. I mean, this is really, we have some insight, you know, because this is not our first go at it. And we're familiar with the the kind of, you know, clarion, you know, the obvious behaviors that happen on these things. And, and part of it is people trying to find 
which team am I on? Because there's invariably more than one, right? Right. And, and the which team we're on, I think what we observed is that, well, which team should I be on? Who has the most power? And, and yeah. it wasn't clear that, you know, there were different views. And then there was that jockeying. Could you share with people kind of the, the impact of, of the, that type of drama on performance or the success of the, the project? You know, when you do see drama like that, what are the knock-on effects on the ability to change well? Well, you can't because the, the reality is you have to be the example that you're, if, especially if you're on the change team or it doesn't even mean that you have to be on the change team because that presumes that only the change team is responsible for change. And we know that that's not true. The entire team is responsible for change. But I think that if you, the reality is if you, if we don't kind of nip this stuff in the bud, and I have some thoughts about that too, but we can get to that in a minute. The, if you don't nip it in the bud, there's no way this is this is always going to happen and if you can't demonstrate that the little bunch of you can get along and get to where you need the organization to be in order to be successful then why would anybody follow you right so i think that the the biggest issue is if you cannot demonstrate good behaviors just like we tell leaders you know you have to walk the talk the project team the change team whatever you know whatever moniker we're giving them they have to walk the talk and if they can't get their act together forget it in addition to that you know i think a lot of people that come over from the the line side who have never been on a project before are shaken to their core about the amount of work that's involved in this and all of a sudden these kind of crazy hours that inevitably wind up being part and parcel of the culture of a project. And, you know, you know, I'm a big believer and Phil and I have worked together long enough to know, he knows that I get to a certain point in the day and then I've had enough <laughs> and then I'm not particularly pleasant to be around. Um, Drama so actually I, happens after you hit that <laughs> point now. Like, I can yeah, it's true. It's, I yeah, I just, I, I, you know, I get to a full point because I, my drama is instigated by nonsense, right? Like if there's nonsense, I have a, a finite amount of patience for nonsense and just ridiculous kind of over-delivering for no reason, right? So I think that, again, because the project team is a microcosm of change. People are trying to prove themselves. And so they work these crazy hours and, you know, you got a lot of martyrs on these teams who need to prove that they're doing more than anybody else. And part of that is because they're worried they're going to lose their job. All this kind of psychology that's going on behind the scenes. So, you know, back to that question. So you have the jockeying, but you, are, you know, you have people working long hours and burnout, right? So the, the, one of the big kind of side effects of being on a project is that you burn out, right? And, and then when you, and the burnout might, might result in you, in, in this case of this, this client, we did have actual burnouts who burned off the project, but you have others who remain because they're, they know that this is it. And if they don't nail this, they're done. And so they show up, but they're ineffective and they become roadblocks, right? Or they, you know, so things grind and are so slow and so inefficient and so unnecessarily. And it's because there's a psychology associated with this that we so often don't talk about. We talk about it when we talk about the people that we're changing or we're trying to get change, but we don't talk about it on the project team. And if the project team cannot get their act together on this, 
and be a good example of what it is to, you know, be a high performing team that doesn't have a lot. You're always going to have some drama, um, but that doesn't have a lot of drama. You're cooked. Right. And that, and we've seen that. So what would you do like in, in a, the spirit of the podcast is there's not a lot of time sort of what's the one thing you do to sort of mitigate or, or bring people back together once the drama has started. So from your experience, what would you do if you saw just as a scenario, there's, there's a group of people not getting along, it's intensifying, right. what would be your recommendation? Well, it's interesting because back to the first project that I uh, that I was on as an independent consultant, uh, we did have a significant problem, and the problem was in the communication team. And it was an interesting scenario because we had half of the communication team. The business had abdicated the responsibility of communicating about the project to the project team. So all the communicators, and they had many who were associated with the line part of the business, were not part of the project team. So you had all these internal communicators who were responsible for communicating about the business, very large business and complex. And then you had a communication team, which I was part of, that was responsible for communicating about the project and never the twain shall meet. And it started rough um, because we didn't have representation from, we didn't have somebody come from the business and come into the, into the team in order to kind of keep us aligned with the, uh, with the communication team uh, of the business. And very quickly things start, you know, you, you have, you're having an info session, for example, where you've got to pull people together in order to tell them what's happening. And there was a movement amongst the internal line change team to say, if, if the project team communicators call and ask for help to the point of like setting up chairs and stuff like that, you tell them no. And you do not lift a finger in order to help them. And we know that this happened and it was, it, it just grew from there. Right. And it was such a dysfunctional kind of cross. It, we're all responsible for elements of the same thing, but we were so dysfunctional and we were so broken because we had never been put together to begin with. So that, that was part of it. But then by the time we did pull everybody together, it was so far into, you know, into this situation that it was, we couldn't kind of reel it back. And the only way we were, uh, they were eventually, and I say they, because I was gone at this point, they were eventually able to reel it back was a number of people were exited from the, the comms team internally. And most of the communicators on the project team were also ex like we left because I was now in year like three of a one year project. So I was ready to move on to something else. But it was like you had to have a whole new group of people uh, together in order to get them and bring them together in the beginning. So that's a, that's a long winded way of saying you need to do it first, right? You have to do it up front. I'm not a fan of chastising people for bad behavior. I'd rather stop it to begin with. And you and I talked a lot about how it's the, it's building relationships up front and it's, you know, akin to painting a room. You've heard me use this analogy before where, you know, you spend more, if you spend more time prepping the room, sanding stuff, taping, all that kind of stuff, the painting goes really easy. Same thing is true on these types of things. So my number one way of mitigating uh, drama on a project is to, make sure that everybody knows that it's going to happen. So let's stop it up front by setting up ways of working so we can, so A, we have good relationships with, with each other. So when things do heated, we can have respectful conversations with in, individuals, those two people without having to, you know, call mom in to manage the drama. 
excellent advice and it fascinates me, I think, especially with leaders who haven't had the experience of going through a large change transformation. They don't see the value of the ways of working session, just like, no. you're, and, and no, it's fine. Well, we'll just figure it out. And whenever I hear someone say, we'll just figure it out, it, it's leading it's a blind spot and it's leading to the drama that will eventually happening. And I love your idea about, you know, acknowledging that it's going to happen. So when it happens, it's less of an emotional response than a, a realization that mm -hmm. these things happen when we're doing it and, and how do we productively solve it? And what I found when I have not done that and, and one in particular that we were on mm -hmm. where there were two uh, colleagues, one consultant, one internal person, and it had aggravated so much mm -hmm. that they couldn't work together. Yeah. And what there was I did, yelling. I remember there was yeah, there yelling. was yelling. Yes. <laughs> and, and and what I the one thing I would do, I would have done a month earlier, and I yeah. think that would have been successful. Whereas when not doing that, you know, people talk to their friends, and it yeah. aggravates. And she said that, and she said that, and how could that be? And it, it just roller coasters into you know something that's just untenable and. When I have done it after that experience and really talking about the impacts, listening to people with respect to get their, their perspectives and then trying to work it out. And, and what I found is that if you say this is the impact that it's having, the whole team is, you know, taking sides or they're distracted and, you know, this can't, would you agree it can't go on? How are mm -hmm. you going to solve it? And another mistake I made, which I've uh, corrected since then, is not trying to solve people's issues by yeah. being the dad or the mom coming in saying, well, this is how we're going to do mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. People have to be accountable for their own drama. And if they can't, then you come in and you move people and you, you deal with it that way and, and very quickly, but giving people the respect, but also the accountability to solve it. And if they can't move in, what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that it all depends on, you know, people join a, a project in many different ways. So somebody will come in as a leader or somebody will come in as a contribute, you know, an independent contributor or whatever. And so some of us will have more control over the environment than others. But the recommendation that I would give to anybody is that um, regardless of what your role is, and really regardless of, of when you come in, the first thing you want to find out is whether or not, if you're coming in kind of midstream, whether or not there is a ways of working, a ways of working has happened. And there are agreements, kind of social mores that we've agreed to as a team that we will and you know, that we will follow. And, you know, right down to, and we've done this whenever we've done ways of working sessions is, you know, how do you escalate, you know, what are the behaviors that are, are great? And what are the behaviors that we can't accept? And we'll call out. So things like you take issue with something and you send an email and you copy the whole world. It feels a lot like throwing somebody under a bus. Uh, and maybe that's not your intention, but as a team, we agree that we're not going to do that, for example. And if somebody does do that, if you're the leader, you have to be strong enough to call that behavior out. And if it continues, you have to be able to extricate, get rid of the person who's causing the problem because it will, it will sour the whole team. And that was my experience on this, uh, this example that I gave earlier. So I just think that it's, for me, it's all about prepping the room. We're all adults. We should all behave like adults, but we don't always behave like adults. And I think what happens is just like we see on social media, people hide behind or driving when people lose their minds when they're driving. I mean, they're in the, you know, protective bubble of their car or behind, you know, a, a picture that only shows part of their face or it's something else. 
And so that gives them license to behave badly and say and do things that they would never say if they were in a room together having to agree and committing to it. And I think that if you get people to agree up front, regardless, if you're, even if you're an independent and you're coming in and it's at the beginning, say, hey, one of the things that I found in my previous experiences is that the first thing that we really should be doing is a ways of working so we can get agreement around how we will and will not operate as a team. And that will expedite, that'll move you so much quickly, much more quickly through that storming part of that happens in every team formation and get you into that. You know, it will also demonstrate to people who are because people are watching you, right? Like you're, again, you're the vanguards of the change. They're watching you to see if you have your act together. And if you don't, they start to lose, just as we saw on this, this uh, project, they start to lose confidence that the direction that they've been pointed in and that they're being marshaled toward is actually going to be what we say it is, or it's going to be successful, right? So there's a, that's a lot for a project team to shoulder. And I think a lot of project teams don't realize that. Yes, I, I find that um, your point about being watched is everyone's watching, the project mm-hmm. team's watching, mm-hmm. everyone who's going through the change is watching. Mm-hmm. And what I found is that if there's speed of action, when something does go off the rails, people are noticing that as well. So just as it's starting to boil, stepping in and resolving it quickly. uh, And after the ways of working session, you know, we've seen, you know, somebody will do something untoward, you know, Mm -hmm. what our agreements are immediately addressing it calmly and getting people back on. It does set up that Pavlovian connection of, if you go off the rails, let's talk about it and get back on because it's, it's not, it's not appropriate. And if you don't do that, it gives license to more behavior that's contrary to what the team agreed to. And, and what's really, I would say just to tag on to that. I mean, we saw this on a, it was a cultural initiative team made an agreement about the way they were going to work and the way they were going to talk to each other and the way they were going to behave as a team. And almost immediately after that agreement was made, the leader did exactly what he always did, which was to be a jerk. And they had called out the behavior that he demonstrated as the one behavior that they were not going to accept as a team. And he did it. And every member of that team felt at liberty to call him on that. And they did. And it was a humbling experience for him. He admitted that, oh yeah, I messed that up. So, and then he said, which I thought was great for him. What he said was, thank you for for bringing it to my attention and I need you to continue to do that if I do it. So he gave them license uh, to call him on it because it was a pattern of behavior that he, that it was his muscle. Like that was he, that was what he was. Right. So it allowed the entire team, not just the, because he was the leader of the team. Right. So it allowed the entire team to say, we agreed that we weren't going to do this and you keep doing it. And so if you want the rest of us to behave like this, you got to do it too. Right. And so we're calling you on it. And I think that that, that's a really healthy behavior and that's, you need to be united to get through a change unscathed and quickly. And I, you know, I know the question is all about if you're pressed for time, but in reality, you need to invest the time up front and it's going to take some time, but you need to invest the time. It's that old adage. I hate the saying, but it, it applies here. It's like, you got to go slow to go fast, right? So you got to lay the groundwork. 
for good team behavior in order to be able to uh, get over the speed bumps faster because they're going to come thick and fast once you're in the, in the flow of things and having that pull people together midstream to say, okay, we're all behaving poorly and we're all, you know, being dramatic. God, what a, and the kind of buildup it gets to that point. It's such a waste of time. So nip it in the bud by setting it up up front. And then hopefully you don't, but if you have to deal with it, you have laid the groundwork to be able to deal with it. Well said. No, thank you, Mel. Such great uh, advice, but also great experience on how things can go off the rails and also how to stop them from going off the rails at the beginning, uh, which is great. Any one last thought or insight or uh, recommendation for listeners as we close off the the podcast for this episode, sort of that one last piece of advice or thought that uh, will help people if they do encounter drama or how to mitigate it before it starts. Yeah, I mean, you know that I, I, I have this saying that in life, there's always a, a musical correlation to anything that we're experiencing. And, and I liken this one to the, that amazing hit by Fun Boy 3 of the lunatics have taken over the asylum. And here, we don't want to be seen as the lunatics who have taken over the asylum. So I think really what it comes down to is get your act together at the very beginning. And even if you're coming in midstream, be courageous and put your hand up and say, if we don't have agreed ways of working, we absolutely must, because here are the things that I've seen and here's where I don't want us to be. And I want us to be able to, when we get to the point where there's lots of friction coming from outside of our team, that we are aligned and we are able to push through it and demonstrate to the broader organization how to do it. So then people will follow us. So lay the ground, regardless of when you're coming in, regardless of who you are, whether you're at the top, the middle or the bottom, it doesn't matter. You know that drama is the thing that will kill a project and kill an initiative like nothing else. So be courageous, speak up and lay the groundwork whenever you're coming in. And that should smooth the way for you. Thanks, Mel. Great advice. And thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time and also your expertise. And so thank you. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Charlie Buckley. And thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me at phil at changewithconfidence.com. And until the next time, I wish you the best as you continue to lead change.